0: Matt again. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of John if you're not already there this morning. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 starting this morning in verse number 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then, art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He saith, Here he said. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they said, and and they which were sent were of the Pharisee. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, which are beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that in this time, in this moment here, as we have opened the word of life, that you will hide me behind the cross and that you'll give me the words to speak, Lord. May you pour out of me this morning as I stand here this morning seeking to exalt your name through your wonderful word. Lord, I pray that Um, For those next door, even for those who are downstairs with our children, the future, Lord willing, of the Witten Place Baptist Church, if you tarry long, Lord, I pray that if there be any in this building lost, undone, and in desperate need of salvation, that today is the day that they see that there is no help or hope in this life without you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when I was growing up, I used to love the TV series, Matlock. If Matlock came on TV, I was watching it. If Matlock comes, Matlock comes on TV today, I'm still watching it. I own all of the available series of Matlock on Amazon Prime. It drives my wife crazy. But I love the court scene. My favorite parts of that is when the plaintiff is trying to condemn the person in whom Matlock is representing. And it seems right when they got the defendant, Matlock then speaks out and says, Your Honor, I would like to submit some new evidence to the record. That is the thought process you need to have in mind as we look at our text this morning. Really, what we have entered into is a courtroom scene. Now, we'll come back and address this, but it's important to keep the momentum of what we've already covered to get to this text and understand. Understand, when we came to the end of our text last week, we said we have concluded John's prologue. We have basically concluded John's opening statement. Now, up to this point, John has already given us the position of Jesus, that he was the pre-existent Christ, that he was there in the beginning, that he has always been and that he always will be. Even more, John has already covered not only the position of Christ, but he's covered the power of Christ because he said, all things were made by him and for him, and there was not anything that was made that was not made by him. Also, in this prologue, we then were again turned to the mouth of two witnesses, so to say, because in John chapter 1 and verse 1, John the Baptist gives his theological statement about who Jesus Christ is and then we was brought in the prologue to John the Baptist's theological statement about who Jesus is and it was in the mouth of two witnesses that this man in the flesh Jesus Christ who was a hundred percent man was under their confession also a hundred percent God but Now something's changed. The prologue has come to an end. And it is important to remember as you move to each section in the book of John that you never forget the purpose. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name. John chapter 20 and verse 31, that verse is, that is the statement, his confession of why this gospel was written so that you might understand just who Jesus Christ is and that believing in him you might have life through his name. So now we enter the scene here of verse number 19 through 28, and understand that in this time in which we're entering the scene, kind of position yourself mentally there, that John is baptizing and preaching Jesus Christ. And as John is standing there preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, there were people, which it doesn't really tell us here in this text, but they were sent down from the Sanhedrin, Jews and uh, the priests and the Levites were sent down to John the Baptist to see exactly who John the Baptist was. And as they arrived on the scene, we have entered into a courtroom. Notice the first part of our verse in verse number 19, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Now, picture in your picture in your mind that we've entered into the courtroom and in the jury box is Jews who are exactly uncertain whom this man, John the Baptist, is. They want to have an understanding, so they've sent people down to interrogate so they may find an answer about exactly who he is, the testimony of this man. This is the record. This comes from the Greek word, which is martoria. Now, it may mean nothing to us, but in the Greek, it is evidence that is submitted either judicially or generally to support the stance Of someone. It's evidence. So he says, for this is the evidence of John. This is the record of John. This is the information to support exactly about what John said about himself and what John said about Jesus. So the Apostle John calls John the Baptist to give us a testimony of what happened when the Jews came to ask him about who you were. So the first thing they asked John the Baptist was was if he was the Christ. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed that I am not the Christ. Now, John, imagine John sitting there in the, in the inter- interrogation booth, and they asked him, and asked him, who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And here, John emphatically, we see that whenever you have uh, repetitiveness in words, twice you see here, he confessed, he confessed, he confessed that he was not the Christ. He was not the Messiah, Yet this began to be even more unsatisfying for them. So they further interrogated him. Okay, John, so your confession is that you are not the Christ, so then you must be Elias, art? And they asked him, what then? In verse 21, art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. This is to ask him, are you Elijah? Is that who you are? You see, they believed that Elijah was coming back, but understand, this is not unreasonable questions. I think oftentimes when we view scripture, we view the opposers, the the people who were lost, the Sanhedrins, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, as people who did not understand scripture. They missed the Christ, but they were looking for the signs. Now, when they asked him in verse number 21, and they asked him, what then art thou Elias? This was biblically rooted questions. They understood that someone which they've actually believed to, uh, to be Elijah, and matter of fact, in the Jewish culture even today, because they believe that Elijah is returning in many of the feasts that is customary in the home to leave an empty seat for Elijah. They believe that Elijah is one day going to re- return and to be with them prior to the coming of the Messiah. Yet I find it very interesting that if you read Jewish history, Josephus will tell you that there were many great men in their day. There were many notable men, many wise men, many men who started many big movements, yet we never read or is never recorded that they were ever questioned if they were ever Elijah, if they were ever the Messiah, if they were ever the prophet. They were never questioned were, were you sent from God? This brings us to an understanding that there was something strikingly unique about John the Baptist, unique about his preaching, unique about his power, unique about his passion. He was a unique character, so unique that they sent them down to interrogate him because they believed of certainty that he was sent from God. They questioned him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? When he denied it, well, you must be Elijah. So how do we say that this is biblical questioning? How do we say this at all? Malachi chapter four and verses five and six, he says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth With a curse. Like we preached a couple weeks ago, John the Baptist was clearly dressed like Elijah. He handled himself like Elijah. But in the gospel of according to Luke in chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17, we gain the understanding that this prophecy in Malachi was actually the fulfillment in the person of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God and he shall be go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy, yet they missed it. They were looking for John the Baptist, but when they questioned him, I mean, they were looking for Elijah, but when they questioned John the Baptist, are you Elijah? Elijah would go on to confess in verse 21 that I am not that man. So you say you're not the Messiah. I'm not. You're not Elijah. I'm not. Well, the apostle John would just say, uh, kind of continue this narrative in your mind. This is how mine is working here. But the apostle John would turn again to John the Baptist. John, did they ask you about anything else? Did they ask you about who else they might think you to be? And John would say, and they asked, what then? Art thou a liest? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. You see this? He asked if he was Elijah, and he said, I am not, period. Art thou that prophet is the third question. It is not a question connected to Elijah. It is an independent question in it of itself that is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Looking for Elijah looking for a Messiah, but now they're looking to see are you that prophet that was spoken of in the Old Testament? They knew, according to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, Moses would tell the children of Israel that after me, the Lord our God will raise up another prophet, and he will be like me, but he will be greater than me. Herein, 18 and verse 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, and unto him ye shall hearken. When this question is being asked of them, are are thou that prophet? They are literally quoting Deuteronomy. Are you that prophet that was prophesied of? Are you the prophet that Moses said that was going to be raised up? They they were grasping, trying to figure out who he was, yet they had a deep understanding of the word of God. And by the way, this is not a far connection. Understand, when Peter would stand up and preach in Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, there in the 22nd verse, again, Peter would quote Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15 and say, That same prophet that was promised to you by Moses to be raised up has been raised up in the person of Jesus Christ. It's clear here. Are thou that prophet? you the prophet that Moses said that God would raise up? Moses was telling them of this coming Messiah, but I want you to understand something about this. Our Savior is prophet, priest, and king. But even more understand this what Moses said in this text of Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. But I love I love this. Like unto me, and him ye shall hearken. Moses makes this commandment to the people, this statement to the people, so that I say, and he said, he was going to raise up a prophet like unto me. Is Jesus like Moses in his power? No. Is Jesus like Moses in his position? No. Is Jesus like Moses in his person? Are we claiming that Moses is deity? No. No. But then what does it mean when Moses makes this statement and Peter confirms that this statement is the Messiah? What does it mean when Moses says that you will raise this prophet like unto me? Well, let me explain here. When Moses arrived on the scene in Israel's life, where were they? In bondage. They were afflicted. They were in slavery day in and day out unable to free themselves, unable to escape the the wrath of Pharaoh. But Moses came to where they were and told them that God had sent him with a message that will deliver them from bondage, that will deliver them from captivity. And through that message that God had given Pharaoh, all of Israel would be set free from the bondage of Egypt. Now we understand what he means like unto me when jesus christ arrived on the scene some two thousand years ago all of humanity was in bondage to sin They were captive. They were unable to escape. They didn't know the way out. They had not yet clearly understood the way out. But when Jesus arrived on the scene, he began to preach to the people, the people, the people, to repent and believe the gospel. And when he preached this message to repent and believe the gospel, through believing in that message, people were set free from the bondage of sin. Moses is saying, they're going to raise up a prophet after me, like unto me. But he's like unto me, because when he arrives on the scene, he again will deliver you from the captivity in which you exist. They were captive to the law. They were captive to their existence. But in this person of Jesus Christ, this is a great promise even to us today this message still echoes today because he came unto his own and his own received him not this message has been extended to us that even yet today In this person of Jesus Christ, there is one that is greater than Moses, who can free us from drugs, who can free us from alcohol, who can free us from the bondage of depression, who can free us from perversion, who can free us from any sin, who can redeem us in this wicked world. In Jesus, no captivity was found. So when they said here, are you, in verse number um, are you, verse number 21, and they asked him, What then art thou a liest? And he saith, I am not. Are thou that prophet? And he answered and said, No, I'm not the one that you're looking for. I'm not the one that's arrived here on the scene to deliver you from captivity. I'm not the one who's brought hope unto you And finally, you can almost sense the frustration in their voice. Okay, fine. Then who are you? You're not Elijah. You're not that prophet. You're not the Messiah. But we cannot deny that you are from God. So who are you? Verse 22. And they said unto him, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou? Of thyself. It's like they're saying, well, that's all we have, we guess. But do you have an answer for us? And John the Apostle would say. That John the Baptist would tell us for the record. This is the record. Tell us. Verse number 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as said. The prophet Isaiah. John has made the connection. Now, I want you to understand imagine in a Jewish courtroom such a profound statement. Now, you can't grab that. Matter of fact, let's do something we don't normally do. If you have your Bible or your phone, turn to Isaiah chapter 40 real quick. Let's just I just want to look at this real quick so we can just fully see this. Isaiah chapter 40. He he made this connection to draw their hearts and minds to the 40th chapter here. A dear brother did well pointing this out here in this third verse. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 4, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah chapter 40 is about the glory of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord being seen. But this is even more here when you see this. John says, I am the fulfillment of of what Isaiah says about being the voice of one crying in the wilderness, telling them that you, so by John making this confession, what John is telling them, if he is the fulfillment of that, then he is also telling them that they are preparing to see the glory of God in flesh. He is telling them even more. Look at this. and I, I, I want you to really grab this. Because we kind of lose this between the Hebrew and the Greek. The voice, verse number three, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now we see that in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse three, that that is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now when we go to the New Testament, we don't get that same capital because it's in the greek they use a different word but understand what he's actually saying here this reference to lord is the word jehovah for us who did the sunday school when we went through the names of the god jehovah this is the name of the self existing one this is the this is the name of yahweh When Isaiah makes this statement, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. This is a declaration that the voice that's crying out is making a declaration that the one who's following them is Yahweh. It is Jehovah. It is literally God. And when we see here, when John makes this statement here, This wasn't just some loose statement. This statement brought great alertness to the crowd. Who are you? I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. This was a statement that Yahweh was with them. This was a statement that the self-existing one had entered into humanity. This was a powerful statement. It was a captivating statement. Even more, he would say there, understand what Isaiah said. In the Old Testament, there's coming a day where we're going to prepare to see the glory of God, the self-existent one. God in the flesh Now, do not miss this confession because in the 29th verse, we will see that John will proclaim that that person he is speaking of is the person of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John would go on to say that this Christ, this person, this self-existent, creator is among them now that will make you stand up straight can you imagine the scene as they're interrogating john the baptist you're not elijah you're not the messiah you're not that prophet who are you i'm the voice crying in the wilderness letting everybody know that Messiah is coming. But even more, John makes a statement here that is troubling even today. He says here in verse 24 and 25, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then if thou not be Christ, if thou be not that Christ nor Elias, nor or neither that prophet. You're not Christ. You're not Messiah. You're not that prophet. So who do you think you are then? Who do you think you are that you're down here causing a stirring in our religious community. Who do you think you are that you have this right to come down here and just start baptizing people? What makes you think you have this right? And John answered them saying, by the way, I love that John didn't waste much time answering their questions. He didn't even go into depth answering their questions. He gave them an initial statement and pointed them right back to Christ. He said, Uh, Here in verse number 27, or no, verse number 26, John answers saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He said, I baptize with water, but I got something more important to tell you. There is one standing among you who you don't even know. There is one standing among you whom ye know not who he it is who cometh after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. Imagine in the crowd, John gives the statement here that standing among you is the Christ. You're so focused on figuring out who I am and yet you are in the presence of Christ and what's even worse he says and you don't even know it that's the heaviness of these words it's really the terror of these words they were so caught up and did not understand that, that Christ was among them they were so focused that they missed it by the way this is the diagnosis of many churches today It is the diagnosis people arrive in the house of god they hear jesus's name exalted they join in in the singing they question other worshipers about their theology what do you think about this what do you think about this and you want to know more and more about why and what they are doing out in the lord's house and yet you arrive here and you see everybody doing things and you participate remember they were gathered there while john was preaching and teaching and yet While John was preaching and teaching, the Lord was there and they missed it. And I am afraid that across our country today, that week after week, people arrive in the house of God. They're involved with the teaching. They're involved with the preaching. They're involved with the singing. And yet they love to ask questions about the Bible. Yet they have completely missed that they have no personal relationship with Christ. So caught up in religion. That they've missed Jesus. Even more, he says, "Here it is: the one who is coming after me is preferred before me." We went through that last week. Who sues latchet? I am not worthy to unloose. This was the considered the lowest of low. If you was tasked with taking off somebody's sandal, you was basically what they would consider the lowest life form in a world of class. Matter of fact, in Jewish customs, you were not allowed to ask a slave to unloose your shoe. You were not allowed, even though they were yours, because why? Because it was too low. I mean, that's the lowest you can get. Look at the humility of John. He said, He it is who cometh after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. This is the humility of John. This is how John viewed Jesus. He is so great. And I am nothing. I am nothing to the point that even the worst task a slave could be tasked with. I'm not even worthy to do that. I am unworthy to unlatch his shoe. By the way, Scripture will go on to tell us, and we'll see this in the book of John, that's exactly how low Jesus went for his disciples. He washed their feet. When, when Philippians says, says he humbled himself, the emphasis there, when he took on the form of a servant, he went even lower than that for us. Even more, he says, these things were done in Beth- Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. John would now, this is, this, this verses 19 through 28, John would say, your honor, I need this submitted to the record because we're going to get further on in the gospel here and we're going to see that people were proclaiming that John the Baptist was the man. But before we, move any further we need John's statement on the record this is the record of John about who he is and why is this so important why is this so important because the whole purpose of this book was either Jew or Gentile would understand who Christ is but in also defining who Christ is they did not deny that John was a man of God. And in not denying that John was the man of God, they would heed his words. And in heeding John's words, John's words would clearly point to Christ, not to a coming Christ, that Jesus Christ, the the very 29th verse will say, the next day John seeth coming unto him and behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The next day, John will not only make, he's not only made a testament that the Messiah is coming, but that day when Christ arrives on the scene, he will point to the exact person, Jesus the Christ, and say, there's the Messiah. There's the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. Their answer would be given clearly and fully. So even more, I, John would say, I, I want this submitted to the record. That John the Baptist said he was not the prophet of Deuteronomy. He was not Elijah. He was not the Messiah. He was none of those things. But he was the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures that said that there was a voice coming crying from the wilderness that said that the self-existent Yahweh Jehovah God is coming. And that is his confession, and he submits that to the record. And then next week, well, not next week, but the following week, we will come and see what John's view, the glimpse of seeing his Savior face to face. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we can't thank you enough for your scripture, how rich it is. Lord, how sweet it is. Just to dive in and try to grasp a hold of these deep, rich truths for us to understand. May we often take slow steps as we go through your word and realize that it's so connected here that it complements each other, and if we're studious, it will strengthen our understanding. And our viewpoint and our, uh, our, our our ability to be able to defend who you are to this world, Lord, give us a mind to study your word, give us a mind to read your word, and we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name, Amen.